Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined, as always, by the man who in his youth made many a silk purse out of a sow's ear. It's Greg. How are you, Greg? I'm very well. I, I thought you might, you might introduce yourself as uh, newly minted Laird of Glencoe. I am. I am the Laird of Glencoe. Well, I am a Laird of Glencoe. But yes, uh, it is my birthday today and my wife bought me uh, a little plot of land in Glencoe and I am a Laird. Uh, I keep wanting to say the Laird of Glencoe, but I am a Laird of Glencoe. <laughs> so very happy about that. A couple of years ago, I think maybe mentioned it on the podcast before, I bought my wife uh, a Lady of Glencoe ship oh, for Christmas right, a couple yeah. of years ago. Yeah. So that was why uh, she's done that. So yes, we are Lord and Lady at Lord, no, Laird yeah. and Lady of Glencoe. So that's wonderful. So I'm looking forward to ruling Glencoe with my <laughs> Lairdship. How big is the piece of land? So I've seen these things before, but I'm never sure how big the actual bit of land is. I, I think I, I need to double check, but I think it's literally like a square foot. Right. Okay. Like it's not, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, I wouldn't be able to go camping there <laughs> if I wanted to. It's it's literally like a square foot of land. But hey, it's still a bit of land. So exactly. I am officially a Laird. And when you just thought this podcast couldn't get any more Scottish, we now have an actual Laird presenting the show. Mm-hmm. I'm Next week, I need to go and send my passport off for renewal. And I'm now considering, do I put Laird on my passport instead of Mr.? You know, hey, technically, I am a Laird, so I could do it. Mm -hmm. You should do it. I'd have to wear a tweed suit whenever I fly, (laughs) technically, so that people will believe me. But hey, officially, I am a Laird. We are Laird and Lady of two kind of square foot pieces of Glencoe. (laughs) You'd have to get yourself a pair of tartan travelling vans for when you (laughs) (laughs) travel. That's a very good point. Yeah, I will do actually. I'll look into that. I don't know. I've never seen tartan vans, but yeah, I'll have to look into that and see yeah, if yeah. I can get them. I'll keep an eye out. Um, very good. So I've got a question for you. You just made me think of something there. So obviously uh-huh. you and I are going to be meeting up in our old stomping ground of Aberdeen in May. And I know that you yeah. have booked your ticket already. Now, I yeah. assume that when you booked your ticket, you put your passport number on the booking. Is that right? Yes, and I you, did. You're going to renew your passport, so you're going to have a new passport number. Is that going to cause That's you a problem? That's a very good point. That is a point I had not thought of, Greg. Right. And I was thinking about renewing my passport. Uh, my passport is valid until next May. Right. But I thought, let's get it renewed now because it's quiet time of the year. And then my wife and I might be going on holiday, summer, August, you know, then if I have to wait until after May, then I'll have to wait longer to get it renewed. But that is a very valid point I had not thought about. So I might have to wait until, yeah, after my trip in May yeah. to renew my passport. Because I need to renew my passport. But I've not booked my ticket yet. But I'm at, I'm at a bit of an impasse because I'm worried that if I send my passport away now, it might take a few weeks to get back. And then I book my ticket mm. and it ends up costing me an absolute fortune. But the last time I renewed, because the third problem with my passport is I don't have any room in it. Because as I'm sure if you know, as you will, you'll know, mm. I should say, wherever you go in the Middle East, they insist on stamping a clean page in your passport rather than just 
stamp in a bit of space on another page. No, I never found that, actually. I always found, because there were a few months where I had to go to Oman and back every month to renew my visa. And Uh no, I find they would literally stamp any old space. Oh, really? Well, maybe I won't bother. Maybe they've changed things. Don't Mm, know. I don't know. I mean, every time I um, travelled, and I've not travelled for work since... 2020 um because of the pandemic but i would travel all around the middle east and my i just got a new passport in 2018 and by the end of 2019 i had one blank page um which has now got a big dirty united arab emirates visa sticker <laughs> taking up the whole thing um well then you have to fold up you have to, so you haven't sent your passport away yet no no oh, yet right. okay. no but that's okay. a very valid point because i was going to do it next weekend but you're right now that i have got that flight book with my passport number maybe i should does your passport number change when it does, you it does change i guess yeah. it does yeah yeah, yeah. yeah okay yeah let's look into that then maybe i'll have to wait that's a very valid point could be a headache mm-hmm. let's see I'm sure it happens all the time, though. People book flights and change their passport. Yeah, or lose uh, their passport. I will will ask Dr. Google about that tomorrow before I send it away. Excellent. Fantastic. Okay, well, shall we have a look at what's been going on in Scotland in the last couple of weeks uh, since we've been away? I mean, we've been in Scotland in the last uh, few weeks we did. We met up in Scotland, came back so tired (laughs) and... I, I think the reason I was tired was because I was in Glasgow and I forgot how much people just speak to you in Glasgow. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, I I got in to Glasgow. I went to the, I, I got to my hotel, checked in. I was hungry and Googled and there was a chip shop just down the road. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to go and get some chips. So I went to the chip shop and the woman behind the counter, I was there for like 10 minutes because she was telling me about how the previous evening a customer had offered her £10 for a blowjob. Um, she'd also been offered a wrap of cocaine Um, a guy came in asking if it was a pizza shop and she said to him look above the fucking door it says fish and chips we don't serve fucking pizzas (laughs) and then she told me a story about how a guy came in the previous night asking uh, where she was hiding the kebab meat because he was convinced they they serve kebab even in I went into Primark and, and bought something like a, a little kind of I'd, I'd forgotten to take any aftershave with right. me so I, I went in and bought like a little kind of travel set mm-hmm. and I was there for a few minutes as well because the woman was saying oh that's smashing that that's so lovely like uh, that's really handy where did you find this and I'm like well you work here like <laughs> I was like, it's over there she's like oh that's really good that's that's uh, that's amazing that I, I, oh that's really good and then even when I went to leave and I was got to the airport and I had to go to the check-in desk because obviously COVID restrictions I had to show my negative test and stuff and I was the first in line and the the woman looked a bit pissed off and I was like okay and then she just breaks into a smile and she's like oh I'm so sorry I'm shattered today <laughs> like I was out line dancing last night um, and then she points over at the security guard at the door and she's like I was out with him and his wife you see the security guy there I, I was out with him and his wife line dancing oh with such a good time um, I, do you want a aisle a window seat ah uh, ah uh, yeah uh, in fact do you want an emergency exit seat gives you a wee bit extra leg room I can bother okay I, I I'll give you that um, I oh such a good time oh line dancing oh it was so good I but oh god I'm so shattered today and I, I'm 
just started and I'm, I'm on till five o'clock. So I thought oh, it's going to be a long day. <laughs> and I'm like, I just want to check in, please. Like, but <laughs> yeah. I can't say anything because I'm like, this woman is controlling whether I get home or not. So yeah. <laughs> I have to smile and be as nice as possible. <laughs> but yeah, I'd forgotten how uh, exhausting Glasgow can be, but in a very good way. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I can, you know, the reason that we were both back is unfortunately my uh, father passed away after like, quite a long illness. But like I was telling you, when I was going through his things, like my father, as I may have mentioned on the podcast before, was a keen fisherman and shooter. And um, he liked knives. And when I was going through his things, I found a variety, like I sent you a picture, a variety of lethal-looking knives, an illegal air pistol, which he'd held on to, which he should have got rid of years ago, after they were outlawed, and a couple of uh, batons, including a, a baseball bat. Not sh- It was quite heavy. I'm not sure it was filled with concrete, but it was quite heavy. <laughs> now, the thing is, whenever we would stay at my dad's, my wife likes the door to be locked when she goes to bed. She likes to feel secure, front door locked, everyone's windows closed, everyone's safe. My, my dad never locked his door when he was in. <laughs> And I give him a hard time for it. But now I, I think I understand. He was, he was armed to the fucking teeth in his bedroom, probably hoping that an intruder would come in in the night so he could reach for one of his fucking weapons and sort sort him out. When you sent me that photo, I almost expected to see like a, a chief inspector behind a desk of the, this is the, the cache of arms we have uh, taken this week. And yeah, it was quite an arsenal your uh, yeah. your dad had it was and, uh, <laughs> it, it, it was it was like a photograph when the when the local police station in like easter house or somewhere has a weapons amnesty <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so um yep yeah. anyway we're back now with an exciting episode i'm sure we are um so do you want shall we cue the jingle for the news well you need to say it uh let's have a look at the news cue the jingle <clears throat> Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, so what have you seen in Scotland in the last couple of weeks that has caught your eye? Okay, well, my first story comes from Edinburgh... The website Edinburgh Live, towards the back end of the uh, the 26th of February. Uh, The the headline is, The Chase Viewers Hit Out at Scottish Contestant After Messing Up Question on Famous Play. So this is Shona from Bonnybridge. She revealed that she's a professional lawn bowler on her episode of The Chase. And she even made an appearance at the 2006 Commonwealth Games in Melbourne, representing the UK. However, the retired taxi driver's general knowledge skills were not as good as her sporting ability. A host of the chase, Bradley Walsh, asked 66-year-old Shona, In Macbeth, which characters look not like the inhabitants of the earth? The former cabbie incorrectly answered fairies and lost £4,000 with the Dark Destroyer, uh, one of the chasers, uh, correctly answering witches. Viewers of the Tea Time Quiz were frustrated that Shona wasn't familiar with the famous Shakespeare play, with one commenting, fairies? And she's supposed to be Scottish. Another added, did she just say fairies? While one said, of course it was witches. Uh, Apparently it comes after a hapless contestant on the chase made a shocking mix-up 
after confusing a legendary ex-Rangers manager with a famous Scots author. I can only deduct that, um, oh no, no, he's got to tell us now, but just 26 minutes remaining, Bradley asked the team which Scotsman wrote the novel The Master of Ballantrae, and fans of the show were left swooning over a handsome contestant from Midlothian who left them glued to their screens. The communications manager admitted that he was a huge Hearts fan and used to play football, but viewers were more interested in his good looks. I can only assume that, uh, it's not going to tell us in the article, that um, he mixed up Sir Walter Scott with uh, the late Walter Smith. Um... But oh, I, I was thinking it was Paul Le Guin. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite easy to forget about Paul Le Guin <laughs> until somebody mentions him. Um, not for a non-Rangers fan, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I suppose not. <laughs> so, yeah, I think Shona's getting a bit of a hard time because, as, uh, as we all know, Macbeth, the play, was written by William Shakespeare, who's not from Scotland. Um, so I think giving her a hard time because she confused witches with fairies is perhaps a bit uncharitable. Do you ever... do you? see the chase at all do you do you watch it when you're uh in in amsterdam on your streams I'd, i'll be honest no i don't watch i i did watch it occasionally in dubai because there was like a random itv channel that's right get yeah. there yep um in amsterdam no we don't get itv we get bbc so I often watch Pointless, which oh, I yes. guess is the Chase's kind of competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I don't really watch the Chase that much. But I'm aware of it and familiar with the the premise. And oh, hey, that yeah, I that does strike me as quite stupid, though. You would know it's witches <laughs> and not fairies, <laughs> well, surely. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. I'm, again, maybe trying to be to be to be devil's advocate. I f- I, I find that the Chase causes me a bit of anxiety to be honest because like up up until I was home this time I'd never seen any contestants actually win ever like oh, okay. you know and I was I was saying as much to my sister and she said no oh, no people do win quite often and then that episode yeah. that we were watching the the the, the team won but I was like I was on the edge of my seat <laughs> do you know what I mean because when, it does yeah it gets yeah. quite climactic because as the board's going down and you've yeah. got like Paul Sinner um, kind of as it's it's coming yeah it yeah, does yeah. get quite yeah I can imagine anxious when the chasers up in the final round and they're they're being given questions they're just like bang mm. bang bang and they you know it's a, I do I find it a bit stressful but uh, it's glorious when they make a mistake though or don't yeah. fuck up and you're like yes come on yep so that's my first story poor old uh, Shona from Bonnie Bridge what, uh, what's your first story this episode well my first story comes from the Scottish Sun this week and this is when we envisaged the Swally this was the kind of story I I wanted to deliver right. and I genuinely cannot believe this made national news <laughs> in Scotland and it was in the Sun and it was also in the Daily Record but I've, I've taken the uh, the article from the sun a scots mum has slammed a takeaway after it delivered her kebab with the wrong sauce which left her starving uh the woman uh ordered a kebab from the spice of life in loriston falkirk last right. night uh obviously not last night but when this article was published um she added salad garlic sauce and a tub of garlic sauce to her order but was left disappointed when the order arrived However, the takeaway has told the Scottish Sun that the customer got what she ordered. Uh, The customer, who is currently self-isolating with COVID, said that she called the takeaway about the mix-up and then broke down in tears. She ordered the meal at 7.30pm and she received a kebab about an hour and a half later 
with chilli sauce all over. The woman said that staff promised her they would replace this, but uh, she was still left waiting until 11pm for a replacement. She ended up saying, I'm going to bed angry and starving. <laughs> On Just Eat, uh, she left a scathing review of the restaurant and gave the restaurant a one star for the food service and delivery time. She said, I ordered at 730 one and a half hours later, I got a call and uh, I got the kebab with chilli sauce all over it. I didn't even order chilli sauce. I ordered <laughs> garlic sauce. I put it in the comments. Of course, it's somehow my fault that they don't read the comments. They promised to replace, but it's been three hours now. It's 11 o'clock. I've got COVID. I'm isolating. I'm starving. And I have a child who should have been in bed not watching mummy cry over a kebab that none of us can eat. Why does, why is your child still up? Why, what's this got to do with the situation that your child has got to stay up and watch you crying over a kebab? Even after I paid, it took an hour and a half to deliver. I made two calls. No one called me back. Awful. Never again. Uh, in a post on Facebook, the woman said uh, a replacement was never sent out. And whilst I was promised it twice, the kid had to stay up and wait for it. Yay. Why is your kid staying up for you to get your kebab? Uh, anyway, she says, I went to bed angry and starving. My order doesn't say chilli sauce anywhere. I went to bed angry. So, yeah. I, I, why is this national news that yep. she ordered a kebab and she got the wrong sauce on it? I mean, when, when I hear about a human being, like a human struggle like that, it really kind of puts things in perspective. You know what I mean? Like Russian troops in the Ukraine, bloody mm. Saudi rockets getting fired at Yemen. But the real struggle is actually in Falkirk, <laughs> where a woman <laughs> who has got the right to get the right kind of sauce in her kebab, it's a human right, and these jokers in the spice of life just don't read her order properly, drown it in chilli sauce. Um, I suspect that there is more to this woman's melancholy than just the wrong kebab. <laughs> I do love a kebab with chilli, uh, chilli, uh, garlic sauce. Yeah. Love a kebab with garlic sauce. But would you order it, like, you'd have to be pished to order that. Have you yeah. ever eaten a kebab sober? Well, it's impossible to eat a kebab sober. <laughs> well, I have. <laughs> I think, mind you, maybe after a few beers, but I yeah. did, I, I used to struggle in dubai there was uh, a couple of kebab places but it was mostly like chicken or beef kebabs yeah, right, but i yeah. i found one place that did lamb kebabs like proper donner kebab and i did order from there a few times when i was a little bit pished bob's and fish and chips actually it? yeah bob's but mm. there was another place um another place in motor city i think that right. did proper lamb kebabs and i would order uh, a kebab and I would order chips, cheese, and Donner, and with like loads of garlic sauce. Yeah. Now, if it came with chili sauce, I'd probably be a bit pissed off because I like my garlic sauce. Yeah. But I wouldn't think to phone up Golf News and complain about this and make sure my article was published. Like, what in the name of Christ does... <laughs> oh, this is a news story. This is. I got the wrong sauce on my kebab. And also, why is this? Why is part of this story so central? The that the child is staying up to see her mum get the kebab. I know it's bizarre. I mean, I think for me, a kebab doesn't taste the same unless you've had quite a lot to drink before you eat it. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of up there with a haggis supper when you're like yeah. 
a bit pissed in it. It's just it's it's, a, it's just it's the right thing. It's the right thing to eat at that time. But so, I can't imagine ever ordering a kebab for my dinner. <laughs> you know, I, I think I might have told this story on the podcast before, but I got into a habit, and it was when I was in Norwich. I would order two kebabs on my way home, <laughs> and I would have one kebab on the way home like eat it and then i would put the other kebab on my bedside table and if you wake up and you have a kebab lying there and you you have to eat it straight away yeah it is the best thing <laughs> in the world when you're hungover and you have a kebab and a can of iron brew mm. you, that that just solves everything yeah and i i went through a period of doing that Buying two kebabs, keeping one on my bedside table. I mean, the room fucking stank the next day. <laughs> I bet it did. It's a wonderful thing. Just chowing down a kebab for breakfast, and then you have a little nap, and you wake up and you feel right as rain. I'm sure there'll be listeners that will be trying to work out what we look like by the sound of our voices, and I'm sure they probably think that you're a fucking right fat bastard, <laughs> like wedged. <laughs> Wedged into your desk and everything, but I can I can tell you that he's not. Nick, he's not. He's a slender, good-looking guy. A bit like myself. <laughs> so. No, it's been a long time since I've done that. But yeah, for a period of time, that was my my go-to. Two kebabs. There but you go. The thing is, like the age that you would have been when you did that. Yeah, like, your body. I it off. Yeah. Your body allowed you to do that anyway. You know what mm. I mean? Because if if I think about what I lived off from the age of. 22, 21, 22, until around about the time I met my wife, which was when I was 28. <laughs> I literally lived off sandwiches, toast, fast food, kebabs, pizzas, um, pasta, and hunters and hunters and hunters of booze. I mean, obviously, I can't live like that now because I'm in my 40s and I'll just end up putting on tons of weight and probably suffering a heart attack before I'm 50. Um, I, eat, I eat a lot better now, but I sometimes get a bit of a tremble when I think back to <laughs> a diet in those days. <clears throat> uh, oh, well. oh, never mind. So I'm I'm very sorry for this woman, and I hope she, uh, well, she didn't get her kebab, but I hope she got some sort of resolution and had some toast in the morning. Uh, okay, so what uh, what else have you seen this week, Greg? What's your next story? So when you were a, like a teenager, did you ever, with your friends, go uh, camping up in the Aberdeenshire countryside? Uh, no, I did go camping once with my, what have you been? He's my cousin. Um, we went camping in Cullen. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's the only time I've been well, that's not the only time we've been camping. Been a few festivals and camped, but uh, but yeah, never really been camping in the countryside of Scotland. What sort of things would you have on your provisions list uh, if you knew you were going to camp in the countryside with your cousin? Well, it depends uh, what age. I mean, at that age, I was I think I was about twelve or thirteen, so I don't know. Probably water, toilet rolls, some food, a tent. Uh, sleeping bags, like uh, provisions. What do you mean, like in terms of uh, so food wise? Not a big bag of cocaine. <laughs> uh, no, no. At twelve no. years old, that was I wouldn't have. Uh, 
I did eat cocaine at 12 well, years old. Well, my, sto- my next story comes from the Falkirk Herald from Friday the 25th of February. The headline is Falkirk man planned to share cocaine with camping pals. Uh, a man who brought cocaine to give to his pals on a camping trip has been spared jail. This is John uh, Buist, I think I'm saying it right. Age 46, should have known better, uh, was caught with the drugs close to his home. However, after police acting on intelligence stopped his car in Alexander Avenue in Falkirk. Officers found 16 snap bags containing cocaine with a street value of £730. Uh, Falkirk Sheriff Court heard yesterday it was accepted by the Crown that the drugs were for social rather than commercial supply. A Buist of Cunningham Gardens pleaded guilty to intent to supply on the 1st of June 2020. And solicitor Simon Hutchinson said, Mr. Buist was going with some friends on a camping trip and he had agreed to source the drugs. Somebody else was buying the alcohol and everybody chipped in. Uh, <laughs> after after hearing that Buist now had significant health issues, uh, Sheriff Simon Collins QC fined him £470 and placed him under social work supervision for 18 months. He said, In many circumstances, an offence like this would carry a prison sentence. So I think old John has probably got off quite lightly there. £730 worth of cocaine just to share with his pals. I mean, my question would be, if you're in a tent, what are you going to cut your lines out on? Unless someone brings like a CD case with them or something like that. Or a book. Well, yeah, but then are you going to have a CD player? Um, but in fact, I, I just saw the other day on Amazon that they're now selling CD Walkmans again. Oh, really? As like a, a hipster kind of thing. Yeah, I've seen I've seen cassette tape Walkmans um, here in Dubai, and I've seen you know I think I sent some pictures. There's like Virgin Mega Store that's got like a range of music on cassette. If if they brought that mu- amount of cocaine with them, I'm sure they have thought in advance about what they're going to cut it up on. Maybe they're going to do it um, sort of a football factory back of the bus style, just little dab on the hand. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think uh, I think we can agree that John is lucky not to have been handed a custodial sentence for his 16 snap bags of uh, cocaine. Okay, what's your next story this week? I've got a story about, uh, funnily enough, about Glasgow, and it's the uh, the social in Glasgow, which oh, yeah. I think we've been to a couple of times, Greg. So, and, it, and has made um, an appearance in the news before, the social, hasn't it? It, it certainly has. So uh, the social is in the news again because the bar has been accused of refusing entry to a group of revellers who had booked three booths weeks in advance, but they refused entry for no reason. Uh, claims surfaced online uh, that the bouncers and management staff at the social, based in the city. Royal Exchange Square told the group, uh, yeah, booking and paying doesn't guarantee entry. So this is a, a woman who had booked three booths and three big drink packages uh, for her boyfriend's birthday for a total of 24 people on a Saturday night. Uh, the booking was secured weeks in advance and cost the group a total of £400, which was paid over the phone. But she was left stunned when she arrived at the bar 20 minutes early and the bouncer said to her, not tonight, love. She claimed that two different bouncers refused her entry and they would not give her a reason for refusing her entry. (laughs) When she asked them about the booking, they said, uh, yeah, booking and paying doesn't guarantee entry. Sorry. So she took to social media to 
kind of exclaim about this. So she posted on our Facebook saying, yeah, we won't be back to the social. We booked three booths for Saturday night and um, for my boyfriend's birthday. Uh, cost us £400 uh, for 24 people. We arrived 20 minutes early and they said, no, not tonight. Bear in mind, we had pre-booked three weeks in advance paid over the phone and were guaranteed three booths and three drink packages. Then we were told, yeah, not tonight, pal, by two different bouncers for no reason. None of us had even had a drink yet. Or if people did, it was literally one or two vodkas whilst waiting for the taxi. Well, get your story straight here. Like you're saying, yeah, none of us had anything to drink or if we had it was maybe one or two vodkas um i asked to speak to the bouncer's manager etc to figure out what was going on but uh, if there was some kind of mix-up but he said no you can't speak to anyone absolutely shocking and it hasn't been refunded yet by the way a group of boys who were down seeing their friends from liverpool were behind us and they got knocked back as well yes bouncers are rude and horrible and I would avoid this place at all costs, especially if you're trying to do something nice for someone. Uh, one person said, yes, exactly the same thing happened to us before. We waited about three weeks for a refund. Another added, yep, a couple of years ago, this got done to us as well. Worst bouncers in Glasgow on that door. A third wrote, yep, that sounds like our experience. Others fumed, yep. This is not the way the situation should have been handled by door staff. So unfortunate that they didn't get to go for their night out. The reason I picked this story was because we got knocked back from the social, didn't we, one night? I think Um, you, me and Greg, uh, you, me and our mutual friend. Was it the social or was it the place next door? It was the place next door. Um, It was after we'd been to see Joy Division at the academy we walked back into mm. town i mean glasgow I'm, yeah, I, I'm not i'm not like having a go at glasgow bouncers because i'm sure they're probably given instructions but like when i lived in aberdeen you know we would we would often have drinks before we went out and sometimes we would leave whoever's flat we were at like pretty hammered and yeah. i was i can hand on heart say that i was never refused entry anywhere in Aberdeen, no matter what kind of condition I was in when I rolled up. But in Glasgow, when I moved back to Glasgow, you would get like interrogated by bouncers. <laughs> Where have you been tonight? How much have you had to drink? You know what I mean? And if you said that you'd been to like more than maybe two pubs, they just wouldn't let you in, you know? You know, and like, and you also would get searched as well to make sure you weren't carrying like anything out my dad's drawer. <laughs> <laughs> into the club but yeah like really really strict like if i mean there, there were times when we would plan to go somewhere like the garage and we would go somewhere else first and i would just be like i've got no chance of getting in <laughs> so i'm just i'm just going to oh, go wow. home rather than put myself through the humiliation of being knocked back you know what i mean so they are strict but i mean when you've booked like that it's yes i mean if she's telling the truth and everybody was like sober and everything that's a bit um it's a bit tight Especially when the yeah, booked and I mean, paid. If you booked and paid for um for your boyfriend's birthday and then 
Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden, you're not allowed in. And that effectively, they're turning away 40-odd people for that evening. And I'm sure it's not going to be an issue for them. They'll make up that money mm-hmm. in terms of other customers. But still, like, you know, you're turning away guaranteed cash there. I mean, it's this is pure conjecture on my part, but I know of the guy that owns the company that owns the social, that the social is part mm. of. Uh, I know of him and his reputation. And it, I wouldn't be surprised if... Uh, like a footballer or something had booked in late and they just okay. fucked off the regular people. I'm sure it probably happens quite a lot because I know that the place upstairs the later on is quite popular with uh, some of the Glasgow foot teams, players and stuff and minor celebrities that live in Glasgow. Michelle McManus, people like that, you know. <laughs> 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 so, oh well, that's a shame. No luck. Hope you get your money back soon. <clears throat> uh, okay. Anything else this week, Greg, that you've seen? Nope, that was all the news that I found. No, uh, the only other thing I've seen is, and I am not on board with this, but I know you are, is Wordle. Oh yes, I do like a bit of Wordle. And have you seen that Wordle have, and I, I don't know how it works, but apparently they blocked words. So they have blocked Jobby, Jengs, and Bobby on Wordle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So there was an article in The Sun today saying that uh, puzzlers can't use the cheeky terms common in Scotland, even though Egypt and Fanny are accepted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Apparently, Jake, Jings and Greggy are accepted. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, Jings, Jobby and Bobby are banned. I mean, it's it's a really straightforward thing. You bet... Basically, there's a five-letter word every day. You've got six goes at guessing what the five-letter word is. Um, And it tells you if you've got a letter right, and it tells you if you've got a letter in the right place. So by the power of deduction, you should be able to guess what the word is. Very, very straightforward. It's just been acquired from the guy that designed it for millions of dollars by the New York Times. Um, So we have to some of the words our American spellings. Like one of the words the other week was humour. And of course, they only have one U in their spelling of humour in America. So so anyway. Okay. Uh, well sad times. Yeah, well I'm sure it'll I'm sure it'll come and go like all these things. It was your choice this week. It's been a few weeks of as we mentioned since we were, since we did an episode, but you chose this at the end of the last episode, which, uh, just another Saturday, mm. which is still available. Um why don't you introduce this week's movie? Well, prior to that, Greg, let's have a little from our sponsor. <laughs> oh, there goes all that advertising money. I almost forgot. The great shopping centres of the world. The Champs-Élysées has chic. Park Avenue is right on. Milan has flair and Rome has style. Princess Square in Glasgow has it all. And there's a sale on. Okay, uh, yes, Greg, it was my choice this week. So I want to have a look at the 1995 historical drama Rob Roy, uh, directed by Michael Canton-Jones and starring Liam Neeson, Jessica Lange, John Hurt, Brian Cox and Tim Roth. It tells the tale of Robert Roy McGregor, head of a Highland clan who is trying to lead them to a better future. Robert borrows money from the Marquis of Montrose uh, to buy cattle, but when the money is stolen, Rob becomes an outlaw in search of revenge. Uh, Conceived as basically a western set in Scotland and filmed in 
entirely in Scotland. Yeah. Rob Roy. Mm. Honour made him a man. Courage made him a hero. History made him a legend. What are your first memories and thoughts of Rob Roy? Obviously, Rob Roy came out, well, it's obvious to everybody, it's obvious to me. Uh, It came out the same year as Braveheart. It was released a little after Braveheart. It's almost impossible to talk about Rob Roy without drawing some comparison. I watched this on VHS uh, about a year after it came out. I was expecting another sort of Braveheart-esque dismemberment, bloody battles. And it's not really that kind of film. It's, it's, um, it's, It's almost a kind of romantic kind of drama. Uh, the romance being the you know the setting in Scotland during uh, the 1700s, uh, etc. Um, I didn't really enjoy it, if I'm honest, the first time I watched it because oh. it wasn't what I was anticipating, and I haven't watched it since, apart from little bits and bobs that have been it's been on the TV and maybe caught sort of 10 minutes here or there. Watching it again for the podcast, um I <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit slow if I'm honest. I think it's the fact that one of the first the first person that we see up close is Eric Stoltz eating shit. It's quite is <laughs> It's sort of, it's, sort of, it's quite kind of poetic in a way for the rest of the film. When it gets going, it's good. You know what I mean? Uh, when it gets going, you know, when uh, when Calairn and Cunningham hatch the plot to, to rip off the money from uh, McGregor, played by the aforementioned Mr. Stoltz, and the kind of intrigue and the adventures and that kind of starts, it's, it's good. Um, but the first 45 minutes... <sighs> It's a tough, it's a bit hard going, you know what I mean? It's hard going. <laughs> uh, well, I was the same as you. I watched this on VHS and it would have been, I'd, I'd watched Braveheart before I watched this, which is kind of strange because Rob Roy came out in the UK in the 19th of May, 1995, and Braveheart came out in the 8th of September, 1995. Ah. So, you know, a good few months yeah. like in between. But I think... A lot of people were probably put off because I think already the trailers for Braveheart mm-hmm. were out and people were like, well, actually, I'll wait and watch that one. That one looks a lot better. <laughs> looks a bit more action packed yeah. than this. Very similar to you. I, I've only watched this film once and it was on VHS in probably 1996. And I remembered quite liking it but not being totally in love with it. Whereas Braveheart, I've probably watched, you know, seven, eight, nine times. Rob Roy, the second time I watched it was last week for the podcast. I watched it again. So I've watched three times. I've watched uh, Rob Roy and it's it's good mm-hmm. it's a good film and i see where they were going with it but yeah it's not as good as Braveheart i think at the end of the no, day i, th- it's, I think yeah. i think it's it's a very different film yeah, though entirely and i think i do think it's a it's it's a well-made film you know what i mean um mm. particularly the, the sort of sweeping shots of uh the highlands and you know it's 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 perhaps got the edge on, Bra- on braveheart in one way and that's that it's entirely shot on location in Scotland, whereas Braveheart 
I thought yeah. the movie was filmed in Ireland, as we spoke about on that episode. You know, so like you can tell that the director, you know, he he's enjoying shooting these big sort of vistas and you know scenes when uh, McGregor and his and his his clan are running across the hills, and you know, at the beginning of the movie when they're when they're tracking the Tinkers, uh, David Heyman as a. Uh, Tam Sybil, the chief tinker, and it's just ripped off some of um, the Marquis of Montrose's heathen coups. Um, you know, all that is, you know, like, the thing is, when you watch the movie for the first time, and that the first sort of 10 minutes there, when um, Rob Roy captures these guys, and you know, you're like, right, we're on for a rip roaring. <laughs> <laughs> swashbuckling experience here and then the pace just you know the, the whole pace of like, introducing and building the character of Rob Roy and meeting his wife played by Jessica Lange which I'm sure we'll talk about soon at great length and the rest of his the rest of his uh, clan and these kids and their house and Loch Lomans and everything it's just it's hard it's, it's hard going you've got to really dig in you know. So to talk about Liam Neeson as Rob Roy, I mean, he doesn't even make an effort. His accent is pure Irish. Yeah. And it's a shame because I almost feel it kind of rubs off on Jessica Lange, <laughs> like her accent is Irish. Eric Stoltz, his accent is Irish yeah. as well. Yeah. And despite the fact a lot of his scenes are with Brian Cox, but it's almost like Stoltz has been like, okay, I, I need to do this accent. Okay, I'll I'll take it from Liam yeah. because he knows what he's doing. But yeah, it's a completely <laughs> Irish accent. It's so bad. This is Robert Roy McGregor. Come to reclaim the 32 beasts stolen from his lordship, James Graham Marquis of Montrose. I'm sibled. Still at your thieving. Throw down now and I'll spare you. All but one. There's a price to being a leader of man, Tom. <laughs> this sort of um, role for Neeson, because, you know, like, ever, ever since he did Schindler's List and he won the Oscar, I can't think of anything that he's done. Cause I, and I think his performance in Schindler's List is fucking brilliant. Um, and I think it's... I think he's absolutely brilliant in Schindler's List. But in terms of like really stretching his acting chops, you know, like this role just feels like one that he could do with his eyes shut. And he's, you know what I mean? Just sort of stroll through. I know kind of more more recently, ever since he did Taken, he seems to get these movies that are a kind of rehash in some shape or form of Taken. He's got to get revenge on somebody for something. But yeah, you know, I mean, like you, you, if you think of all of him as uh, Qui-Gon Jinn in The Phantom Menace, he's essentially doing a slightly lighter Rob Roy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I would, um, not to pick a point, but he didn't win any awards for playing Oscar oh, Schindler. Oh, in Schindler's. He was nominated for Best Actor, right. but he lost to Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. Oh, right. Oh, well. Uh, for Best Actor, but he was nominated. Um, he does... Uh, Liam Neeson is... He's had quite a, a very career. I think for me, and probably for you, because I know this is a film we have discussed at length many times, but for me, he will always be Dark Man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, it's an incredible performance as Darkman mm -hmm. and a, a film I hold very close to my heart. I love Darkman. Yeah. He's brilliant in that. But yes, uh, broke out into the mainstream 
in Schindler's List. Um, around about the same time, he also did another film in Scotland called The Big Man, which he plays a, a bare-knuckle boxer. Yeah, um, you won't want to cut this out, but I picked that for the next episode. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Oh, here. fantastic. Yeah. The big the big man came out in 1990, uh, <laughs> a, a, a few years. I before. might leave that in actually. <laughs> yeah, plays Oscar Schindler, and that was kind of his big break. Yeah. And then he did, I don't know, kind of meandered around doing a few big roles. I mean, he's obviously in Love Actually, mm-hmm. and but I think it was yeah, like Taken was kind of the it was like a, the it was like a second coming, Liam wasn't Neeson it? Yeah. Renaissance, yeah. 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 And he all of a sudden becomes this action star and he was in all these action films. And it's bizarre. I mean, Taken's a fucking great oh, film. Brilliant. To be yeah. fair. I mean, two and three, yeah. not so great. Yeah. But Taken is fantastic. And Liam Neeson is a great actor. Yeah. And genuinely, it's like Dark Man would be one of my favourite mm-hmm. films of all time. I just, I, it's so shit, but it's so good. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't take itself particularly seriously you know what i mean it's a it's an out and out comic book movie i just can't help but feel like he was slightly miscast as rob roy like i'm he's he's a big guy he's six foot four would he not have been better cast as like william wallace when you see him in shot with tim roth uh particularly the last scene with the duel at the end of the movie i mean tim roth could rest his head on Liam Neeson's chest, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, and yeah, it makes and it, it makes him look like he's about seven foot tall almost because he's you know I know that, you know what I mean just like against someone like uh, Tim Roth who's just like a regular sort of size guy, <laughs> fucking giant Liam Neeson. I mean, perfect. Let's talk about Tim Roth. I mean, he is just phenomenal mm. in this role. I was a big Tim Roth fan because. Obviously, his role in Reservoir Dogs and his role in Pulp Fiction. And that always led me to, um, it was one of my favourite Tales of the Crypt episodes, Easel Kill You. Tim Roth was was in that, mm-hmm. paid like a, a painter that killed people and used their blood for right. paint. So to see him in this was great at the time. But I don't think until I watched it again recently, I appreciated just mm. how fucking good he is in this film and he got nominated for best actor at the <laughs> academy awards he lost to kevin spacey for the suspects right. but to be nominated for an academy award for best supporting actor mm-hmm. is pretty much an incredible achievement and in this film he he's so good and it just it's a fine line between you kind of want to really hate him but he's just so funny mm. and brilliant and just over the top camp as well. It's an amazing performance. He could have done it in a sort of pantomime kind of villain kind of way. You know what I mean? Where you know when you when you think of the the costume that he's in, and it's that eighteenth century foppish wigs and frock coats and buckled shoes and everything. You know, they when you when he first appears, you you know you almost want to kind of boo like. Uh, He's, you know, like he's a pantomime <laughs> villain. But to your point, like the the subtlety, like there's one thing that he does. I'm sure you probably noticed. But in the scene where the second Duke of Argyle, uh, John Campbell, I think it's this, it's like a sort of casino or sort of thing, and he he has a bit of a debate with uh, John Hurt's character, the Marquis of Montrose, and accuses him of um, accusing him of being put out that he's a Jacobite. Just before that exchange he is stood 
Tim Rother is he stood beside the Marquis of Montrose's little African kind of houseboy, and he sort of gives he sort of gives the boy a bit of a look. It's like he's kind of measuring him up. You know what I mean? And it's it's those sort of subtle little things that he's so good at um, that really kind of. Oh make him like the ultimate kind of villain. You know, because he, he's much worse than um, the Mar- I guess the Marquis of Montrose, played by John Hurt, supposed to be a villain as well. But there are times when he's mm. he comes across quite reasonable, etc. Yeah. Ruthless, but reasonable. But yeah, there's just, there's no doubt in Tim Roth uh, as Archie Cunningham at all. And I actually, I mean, I'm, I agree with you. I think Tim Roth is a phenomenal, Tim Roth is a phenomenal actor. And we don't really see him in enough things these days. Um, but I watched, when I was back in Glasgow uh, the other week, you can watch it on YouTube. Uh, it's a movie called Meantime, which directed by Mike Lee. And Tim, oh. Tim Roth is in it, Phil Daniels, uh, Gary Oldman is an early Gary, an early Gary Oldman role, Pam Ferris is in it, uh, Alfred Molina, and Tim Roth plays the kind of younger brother who's, you know, I guess it's implied that he's a bit slow, he's got some learning difficulties, etc., to, he's the younger brother of Phil Daniels' character and it's i mean nothing really happens in the film it's kind of like a snapshot of of their lives um you know kind of early 1980s working class misery but uh tim roth is phenomenal in it and if you watch him as well in made in britain where he plays the Mm. skinhead neo-nazi guy alan clark's film and he's, he plays a lead in that. I think that's really like his kind of breakout role. You know, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal actor. What's, what's the last thing you saw him in that you remember seeing him in, Tim Roth? Tim Roth. I mean, I know he's been in a... He was in a TV show. Is it called Lie to Me? Yeah. I think, which is quite big mm-hmm. in the US. Genuinely, the last thing I saw Tim Roth in, because I, 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 I haven't watched Lie to Me. Um, I mean, obviously, Rob Roy, because I watched it <laughs> just the other day. But in terms of the last thing, I I couldn't tell you. And I I think in the on the last episode, I said to you he was a massive kind of influence for me in the <laughs> brand of nineties when we <laughs> we said yeah, my brand of cigarettes. <laughs> like Tim Roth was for me that time of Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. Like Tim Roth was the epitome of cool mm-hmm. for me. And he was the the who I wanted to be kind of aspire. And it's a shame because he's such a good actor. I almost can't believe that there's only, you know, Academy Award nomination. Um, I mean, the last modern thing that I've seen him in was the Hateful Eight, uh, sort of reunited with Quentin Tarantino. Ah. Of course. Um, yeah. And he, he gives a great performance in that. But when you think about his kind of, I don't know, sort of generation of actors, I guess there's him, there's Gary Oldman to an extent, there's Phil Daniels who I mentioned, Jude Law, kind of, because he's sort of got, he's kind of got his foot yeah. in that early 80s kind of British uh, film kind of renaissance, if you like, and in the kind of 90s, mid-90s, with the Ewan McGregor's and Jude Law's, and I suppose Ray Winston would be a bit of a contemporary to some extent as well. He's been around for a long time. So, do we think that, we're going to skip ahead here, but do we think that Archie, his character, is the Marquis of Montrose's son? Because he kind of alludes to that he doesn't know who his father was. Yeah. But he's sent there by his mother to for the Marquis to look mm-hmm. after him. And the symbolism of at the the very end, when the Marquis 
snaps the kind of necklace the locket. Of, I presume that's Archie's mother mm-hmm. that is on the locket of of off off of him. Like, are we to think that he is maybe his son? I think it's it's heavily heavily implied, if not if not clear, you know, because why else would why else would this wealthy Marquis? Because they, uh, you know, where at the beginning of the film, it's explained that he's that Archie's got himself into some trouble uh, in England. He owes a lot of money. Hmm. left and right etc you know they it's you know it's not it's not really firmly established at the beginning of the film why the marquis of montrose has agreed to take him into his household you know as a guest not as a member as he makes it clear so i suppose that little moment at the end does kind of answer those questions you know um Hmm. what did you think of uh john hurt as uh, the aforementioned Marquis. He's fantastic. Yeah, he, uh, he's a great actor. A great, almost rivals Roth for stealing the film. Mm-hmm. He's so good. And his performance, yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah. Just the, the way he, he gives across this kind of evil English villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, brilliant. Very good for me. And then we have the moment. So although the first 45 minutes, as we've mentioned before, are a bit slow going, there's... <laughs> There's two, there's two sex scenes between Liam Neeson oh. and Jessica Lange. The first one being after he's just emerged, dripping from the I can but well, I can only assume an absolutely fucking Baltic walk moment, <laughs> um, and then climbed into bed with her, and then against the standing stones up at the top of the hill after the boys have been sent away. Um, not particularly erotic. Sex scenes, I would have thought. No, but yet I had put in my notes this film is utter filth. <laughs> and I think I text you the same yeah, he thing. Did, yeah. Like, there's a couple of yeah, not erotic sex scenes, but they are still sex scenes. And there is also the, it's more the language of yeah. the, oh, do you want to make my sow's ear into a silk? purse again <laughs> uh, it's pretty graphic the the wording i mean especially the second one where they they send the boys home like okay off you go because <laughs> mummy and daddy want to have a shag <laughs> against this rock you know um you know the sort of stereotype that sometimes comes up in movies of 1970s american pornography and there's usually I saw a slap bass line, bow, 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 that kind of thing. I was thinking maybe you could have like Scottish <laughs> pornography, but the soundtrack being bagpipes. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, Would my, that work? I do don't you think? know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe somebody with more technical skills than us could edit some bagpipe music over some famous sex scenes, like Basic Instinct and stuff like that, and we could you know see how it turns out. Scotland the Brave. Yeah. Or okay. the Granny or something. I'll give that a bash. <laughs> Put that onto the Instagram yeah. um, and see get her account, how that get, works. Get her account shut down. Yeah, I mean, I think we need. I think that we need to. We need to have the Jessica Lange conversation. Really. So hmm. I read yeah. that apparently it was supposed to be Miranda Richardson playing. Mary yeah. McGregor, uh, Rob Roy's wife, who, in my mind, although Miranda Richardson's not Scottish, I feel like she'd have made a better fist of it than. 
Jessica Lange when it comes yeah. to the accent because her accent is fucking rubbish. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure where I feel on her performance. Like, she's okay, yeah. um, but she's not great. But yeah, her accent is. I mean, awful. I, I, I wonder why she was chosen. I mean, I suppose when you just look when you just look at her in costume, she does have a sort of Celtic kind of look about her. You know, like I'm sure that that's not her natural hair color, that kind of red hair kind of gingery hmm. hair that she has and you know in costume and everything she does look the part but as soon as she opens her mouth <laughs> I mean, it's absolute bobbins no, definitely she looks the part and she does the the scottish trait of going and having a a slash at the edge of the water in the morning <laughs> before the boats come in yeah but yeah she's she's not great to be honest in terms no. of her accent and uh, I mean, again, the director, Michael Carton-Jones. So in terms of that water, he obviously, it gets Liam Neeson <laughs> to emerge from it. It gets her after the rape scene. She gets in the water. Brian McCarty, who plays Alistair. I mean, you talk about him, by the way. Jesus, wet. Mm. I mean, the scene between him, Brian McCarty, and Jessica Lange. Now, we've all seen like the making of movies and things and films about how films being made. I imagine that wasn't done in one take, <laughs> that scene. Mm. I would imagine the director would have wanted a few takes. Mm-hmm. In, up, up to your tits in the Loch, in Loch Lomond in like kilt and a cheesecloth shirt and <laughs> whatever else. I mean, you know, you got, to, you got to really want to be in a film with Liam Neeson um, <laughs> to do you that. You get used to it after a, a few hours though, I would have thought. Mm, or you would catch pneumonia, hyperthermia, perhaps, yeah, after a few probably. hours. <laughs> yeah, Brian McCarty. Now, for the record, let it be known that I think Brian McCarty is a fine, fine actor. You know, I've yeah. seen him in a few things. You know, he's in Line of Duty, very, very good. He was in, I forget the name of it, but the one with Sean Bean when he's in prison. The way it was oh, in BBC time, last year. I think, yeah. Time, yeah. He's in that, plays a very good part in that. You know, like he, he does look quite young in this film. I think it was... It's probably the biggest thing he'd done to date. Yep. But he's he's going for it in every scene. I know he's playing the kind of hot-headed younger brother of uh, Rob Roy, but uh, there's some shocking moments. <laughs> I wonder how he feels about it when he looks back. I mean, the one thing he does have going for him is that he's one of the few actual Scottish people that's yeah. in the film. <laughs> and there are... A lack of... Well, actually, I was quite surprised when I actually watched it again in terms of the... There are a few. I mean, you've got Brian McCarty, you've got David Heyman, uh, you've got Ewan Stewart, you've got John Murtaugh, um, who is very high on our swally tally. But then you have Brian Cox. And I think, I mean, for me, Tim Roth is kind of steals the show in this. But Mm -hmm. actually, for me, it's Brian Cox that is... He's... Yeah, he's loving life in this film for sure. He's just—he's he? a, a—he's an evil bastard, and you want to hate him, but he's so funny and mm-hmm. just the delivery of some of his lines. And you know, for example, the one of his main first lines is "A wee whiff of quim in the morning, sir." A wee whiff of quim in the morning, Mister Cunningham, sir. Mm-hmm. Just the thing to clear your head. Eh? Mm-hmm. Mr. Cunningham, I hope I'm not disturbing you. Of course you're bloody well disturbing me. Do you think I want to wake up and find some great smelly Scotchman staring down at me? 
with his shiny finger under Tim yeah. Roth's nose, which well, was because, perhaps yeah. a bit of attention to detail that we may yeah. didn't need. <laughs> well, I agree with that. I, I was quite surprised to see that and quite shocked. But his his delivery is so good, and he's just chewing up the scenery whenever he's in it. Yeah. But in a very downplayed way, like he's not over the top. Again, I mean, again, a, a, a bit like Roth. It's it's not so much of what he says; it's his reaction to things, mm. you know. Because again, he, he could be an out and out utter villain in yeah. this in the same way that Jim uh, John Hurt could have played the Marcus among shows as an out and out villain. But it, it's not so much of what he says, but. Like particularly the the scene with uh, with Tim Roth, Archie Cunningham rapes Mary McGregor, and you sort of see a side of this character who's maybe well, this is yeah. going a bit further than I thought it was going to go. But yeah, he, he sort of he has to keep up the appearance outside the house when she comes out oh. of the burning house, and he makes his he makes a little nasty comment to oh. her. You know what I mean? So there's an element there that he's he's a sort of chancer who has maybe got himself in a wee bit over his head. It's this, you know, this issue has perhaps become something he didn't think it would become. I would agree, yeah. And that is one of the kind of my favourite lines of the, the film is when Archie has set the house on fire mm-hmm. and they're waiting for her to come out. If she doesn't come out, Archie, there'll be a reckoning. Shagging us one thing, burning us another. She'll be out. She's a hater, that one. Hmm. Yeah, she is. But you can tell that he's just having a great time playing the role. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? A chance, probably, for him as an actor to spend six or seven weeks shooting in beautiful parts of his home country, mm. you know, with a, a, a character that he can get his teeth into and have fun with. Yeah, he's absolutely brilliant. Eric Stoltz. Now, I don't know how you feel. My feeling is that <laughs> Killer... Killing Eric Stoltz off before the hour mark was probably quite a smart move. <laughs> uh, yes, I would agree. I'd, as I mentioned earlier, I think he'd been taking Scottish lessons from Liam Neeson. His accent isn't the best. No. And he is the first kind of character you see. Yeah, eating and, shit. As you say, <laughs> eat shit. It's not the best performance that Eric Stoltz will ever deliver. <clears throat> well, he'd worked with Michael Carton jones before. On the Memphis Bell. So, okay, you know, course. I guess yeah. we, we have to assume that there was a relationship there. You know, I mean, Eric Stoltz is a bit of a... He's a kind of like an almost kind of movie star. I think, like the, you know, I, it's famously, he did a few weeks on Back to the Future as Marty McFly before Zemeckis realised that he wasn't right for it. You know, I think there's the movie Mask, when he plays the kids with mm. the bone disease that he's in with Cher, which he plays the leads. I guess he's like joint lead in with Cher. But... Yeah. I don't know. He's, I mean, he's very good in Pulp Fiction as the drug dealer uh, for yeah. John Travolta. Oh, he's great. Yeah. yeah, he's brilliant in that role and stuff. But I can't, honestly can't think of what I've seen, like anything modern that I've seen him in lately. He seems to have sort of disappeared. That's a look. Um, yeah, if you mention Eric Stoltz to me, I will instantly think of Mask and Pulp mm-hmm. Fiction. Yeah, yeah. And now Rob Roy. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's not that great. I mean, he kind of uh, meets his demise. When Archie is following him and he shoots his gun, so he just 
misses him. Like he doesn't. Does he miss him or does the gun, the gun doesn't backfire, backfire or something I, like that? Or? I, I don't know. That's what I thought. Like yeah. does the gun backfire? But if it backfired, he would recoil. But he doesn't make any. Yeah. He just shoots. I I thought he missed. Maybe him. Maybe he did miss him because what does what does Archie say? Lucky or something like that? Or yeah, yeah, something like that. And how does he not see? I mean, the rope that knocks him off his horse is about as thick as my fucking wrist. I don't know. He doesn't yeah. see it coming. But yeah, again. Uh, Along with um, Jessica Lange, I think Eric Stoltz is an unusual choice. But maybe it was through his relationship with uh, with Michael Caton Jones that he got him in. I just had I just had a look at his IMDb. He's been doing a bit of TV more recently. Not no high profile films or or even television really. He seems to have kind of faded away a wee bit. I think we need to give a little bit of love for Guthrie in this film as well, <laughs> because Guthrie. the character of Guthrie uh, he meets a sad demise, but he's quite pivotal in terms of he's the the first person that fights Archie, mm-hmm. and obviously it's first blood he loses, but. Mm-hmm. When he's in the pub and he is saying to Rob about the, uh, yeah, you murdered Tam Sibold over your family. Well, I shagged his sister. (laughs) 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 He's a great comedy character. And it's wonderful that Rob is kind of first blood. And obviously it's a very much kind of prefacing what's going to happen later on in the film Mm -hmm. with uh, him grabbing the sword and... Yeah, but Guthrie's great, which yeah. I guess kind of leads us on to the end of the film and the sword battle, which is, I think, widely regarded as being one of the best sword fights in cinema history. Really? And <laughs> yeah, man, let's be fair. I think it is epic because you know what I, I love about this sword fight? There's no, um, there's no music. Behind yeah, it. Yeah. there's no taunting like you could imagine kind of it, nowadays you would have a film like this and you would have Archie kind of being like ah how's Mary uh, does she still remember me type thing uh-huh. there's none of that it's all filmed in absolute silence there's only the, the swords clashing they're, and they're both fucked mm-hmm. towards the end like they're both exhausted you can see and that's why I think it's a, a great kind of epic sword fight. Does Liam Neeson? I mean, sorry, is Rob is Rob Roy maybe breaking a rule at the end? Because you know, by gla- by grabbing Archie's sword and then he, he, he sort of chops him down his shoulder blade, doesn't he? You know, is is that breaking the rules? There was some rules explained at the beginning: no throwing your weapon, no backstabbing, mm. no grabbing, etc. Mm. And then uh, Rob Roy, you know, he's like seconds away from being ran through. Um, I assume, and he uh, grabs Archie's sword. It seems a bit unsporting. You know? Maybe, yeah, potentially it could be. But I mean, it's it's over now. Like. Yeah. Archie's dead by the end of it. So if he has broken the rules, what's going to happen to him? Well, I mean, he was getting patted yeah. in the back. And even even uh, the old Marquis yeah. had to just sort of kind of live with it, didn't he? And, um, Potentially, he could be right there. Maybe he has broken some rules. But, oh, come on. It's great. The, yeah. It's, it's the climax sword, of him grabbing the sword and just slicing the fuck out of him. It's, it's beautiful. It's a, it's a very good sword fight. I'm just surprised mm. to hear it being described as one of the best ever. Um, but no, it's very good. It's quite surprising. I mean, Rob takes a fair fucking whack of Cuts. slices. Mm. Yeah, he yeah. does. Yep. And then just, just somehow battles through to the end. Yep, and just walks out with a hanky tied round his hand. So that seems to be the only cut that he's bothered yep. about. <laughs> it's the one. Goes back to see Mary. 
and uh, meet their bastard child in a few months. Now, surely, because obviously they've got a couple of kids already, mm-hmm. and they're both ginger. So, when because he's obviously unsure if this kid is going to be his mm-hmm. or if it's going to be Tim Roth's kid. Yeah. He's going to know because if it pops out not ginger, then he's going to know. Yeah, for sure. And this is one of the things that kind of pissed me off about this film uh it was about rob's kind of just being an all-round nice guy and just being just such a lovely wholesome uh yeah everything's fine everything rob seems to come up to it's it's all okay it's all fine it's all groovy we'll just get through this it's fine Mm -hmm. kind of annoyed me a little bit about his kind of yeah you would think like probably the attitudes of the time he wouldn't be accepting uh, the the possibility of his wife having another man's child even though you know the child's conceived through rape you would imagine in the those less enlightened times he might not have been as sympathetic as as he is in the movie so apparently um when i do my research for the film the role of the duke of argyle was first offered to big tam sean connery and i think oh. i would quite like to have seen yeah. sean uh kind of squaring off against john hurt i think it would have been i think it, i mean andrew keir is good as john campbell uh, i think he's really good but i think it'd be something quite cool seeing sean connery in the i can't really see him in the the kind of foppish, kind of curly wig <laughs> that all the guys play. No, wear, but, definitely um, not. But, yeah. but he might have been up for it. And apparently, so uh, Jason Fleming, who has been on the Swally before doing a fucking mm. terrible Scottish accent in Sunshine and Leaf. Fortunately, his role in this film as a member of the Clan McGregor doesn't appear to have any lines, or if he did have lines, they were cut. But seemingly, his agent advised him against taking the role because it was too small a role, etc. It was really just, it's almost like an extra, really. But he was determined to do it because he wanted to be in a movie with Tim Roth, who he looked up to um, and admired as an actor, apparently. Oh. Yep. And Tim Roth himself thought he was going to get sacked because... He made the character too eccentric, but actually, but Michael Caton Jones actually asked him to dial up the campiness and the ex the eccentricity um, of the role. So uh, you know, and then as we say, as you said earlier, he ended up getting um, nominated for Academy Awards. Certainly did, yeah. Mm. Um, did you know that this film is dedicated to two people? I did, and I cannot remember who it is. It's quite well-known people, isn't it? It's uh, dedicated to the director, Alexander Mackendrick. Yep, Mackendrick, yep. And jo- Jockstein. Jockstein, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bizarrely. <laughs> I mean, obviously, Rob Roy is, um, although, you know, he was a he was a, a real person, um, he's sort of become a bit of a folk hero. And obviously, you, you mentioned at the very beginning in your introduction that this was envisioned as being a bit of a Mick Western, if you like. Mm. But I don't know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a kind of Robin Hood type role, uh, the way that the characters portrayed. Because, um, like, Rob Roy himself was actually a much more political antagonist. Um, if you read about him during the, uh, he's involved in the Jacobite uprising, etc. Um, it's not, I mean, that's kind of referred to a bit in the movie, but they don't spend too much time talking about it. You know, the focus is very much on the yeah. the kind of plight of 
Rob Roy and you know the 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 missing money and the vendetta etc. Um, but it, it does feel he feels like a bit of a kind of sort of Robin Hood type character, it's, especially when he's you know when he's taking his revenge against the Marquis and the clan are stealing um, cattle and uh, tributes and stuff like that. You know? Do you know what I really love about this film as well is, and I think there's a, a lot of it that you have in historical dramas that you will have a, a kind of at the beginning and at the end, especially at the end, you'll have a voiceover and it works well in Braveheart and probably one of my favourite parts of Braveheart in terms of when Mel Gibson, you know, does say you know, they fought like Scotsmen, they mm. fought like warrior kings type yeah. thing. There's nothing in this. There's no, there is a, a little, at the beginning, they, um, there's a little card that says, but it's nothing about Rob Roy. Mm-hmm. But at the end, there's nothing of a terms of like, okay, so after this, Rob Roy mm-hmm. went to, and to be fair, Rob Roy, I think he lived to be on uh, 63, I think. He was yeah. 63 when he died, which to be fair, at that time, is a fair old age for mm-hmm. a Scotsman living in those kind of circumstances. There was none of that at the end of the film of, you know, Rob Roy went on to become this legend and, you know, become, uh-huh. lived to that. And I liked that, that there was no kind of, like, this is a kind of, this is it, beginning, end, done. Yeah. And I know Rob Roy is become a, a kind of a hero in Scotland. As we discussed yesterday, I think um, they have like a statue of him in just outside of Bankry in Peter Coulter. Aberdeen. Peter Coulter. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Uh, in Aberdeen, they have a little statue of him that and me and my mum used to drive past it and she would always point out the the rob roy statue there's rob mm-hmm. roy well there's a, there's another he's got there's another statue of him isn't there and um i think round about can sort of forfer kind of way on the on the main roads up to from dundee up to aberdeen there's a statue by the side of the road there as well right uh maybe I'm, I'm not sure familiar with that. Maybe. Sure um, I mean, the thing is, like, there's a lot, like, at the time when this film was set, there's a lot going on in Scotland. Like, it's going, the sort of, the sort of Scottish way of life as it was, was going through some massive changes that like you mentioned before, like, you know, the sort of clan system was kind of petering out. Um, I remember at the same time, there was the Highland Clearances as well, which aren't really mentioned. You know, there, there's, there was a, yeah. a, a, a movement to have a Scottish king again um, and all that sort of stuff. And I, I was surprised that no one's made... Because if you think about the sort of things that are made about Scottish history, I suppose... And I've never really watched it, and I doubt you have either, and, but I know it's very, very popular, is Outlander. And I, I know what the... I know, I know yeah. the premise... The, the, the the, the premise of Outlander is a, a nurse from the 1940s somehow finding herself back in the Jacobean times in Scotland. That's the premise of it. I never watched it. But there's never really been a, a sort of drama uh, about this time in Scottish history. And it is, you know, you, you've got big characters like Rob Roy, for example. You've got these big events mm. like the Highland Clearances and things. Um, no, one's ever, no one's ever really done it. I, I I don't think that, um, and I'm not I'm not implying that this film was a missed opportunity to do that. I mean, I think this film was obviously it's been conceived as a romantic historical epic. If you look at the poster uh, for the movie that's on its Wikipedia entry, the the main image is Liam Neeson and Jessica Lange close ups of their faces. So it's almost like an old 1940s style um, yeah. poster, you know. And then you've got a little bit of uh, sort of action in the bottom of the poster and things. So I mean, it's. I don't think that no one's trying to say anything in this film. Whereas with Braveheart, 
to your point, you know, Braveheart, either intentionally or not, is making quite a big political statement. The fact that the SNP borrowed quite heavily from Braveheart at various times in their uh, sort of campaigns for election and um, independence sort of campaigns and things, you know, um, whether I, I don't think Mel Gibson set out uh, to, to uh, help the SNP's marketing and spin people, but, you know, that's what it's become. This film isn't like that. It's it's not it's not putting Scotland against England. Although mm. the kind of main villain is English, I think John Hurt is doing a bit of a Scottish accent. So I think his character is supposed to be Scottish. Um, it's quite a soft accent, but uh, yeah, um, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think I don't think it's a bad film. It's just just a lot no. of strange choices. <laughs> you know, right, uh, right. Shall we put Rob Roy through the award? So the first the first award uh, slash category is the Ewan McGregor Award for Gratuitous Nudity. What did you go for? Uh, well, it, I mean, it's not a lot, but obviously Neeson coming out the water, mm-hmm. you don't and see it's not it. Bit, it's not that gratuitous. You kind of do see it. <laughs> I, I did do some research for uh, the podcast and... Apparently, if you Google Liam Neeson Evian, you will get quite a few results because apparently Liam Neeson's cop is about the same shape and size as an Evian bottle. He does give an air of sort of confidence and command that you would associate with a guy who knows that he is packing like a serious, <laughs> a serious ski and do in his tartan pants, you know? Um, that's the only thing. I, I think if you do pause it, you can see a big, like a flash of cock, but <laughs> I... <laughs> Moving swiftly on from uh, f- flashes of William Neeson's cock, the James Cosmo Award for being in everything Scottish. Now, I had two nominees here. I'll be interested to see if we have the same two. Um, I literally have uh, one, two, three, <laughs> four, five. I've got six. I've got six <laughs> options here. Despite the on the last episode, I said the only person that is Scottish in this mm. is Brian Cox. I've got six people named, um, but two kind of main ones. So who have you gone for? I I could have done the same. Because you're right, just you know that David Heyman's in the movie, although he's only in it for a few minutes at the very beginning. Yeah, so, you know, Shirley Henderson is there. Um, you know, she's mm-hmm. quite prolific. But I went with uh, Brian McCarty and Ewan Stewart, especially Ewan Stewart. Who did you go with? Uh, the first person on my list is John Murtaugh, mm. um, because he has been and uh, he is in a very fleeting role. He plays the referee in the the sword yeah. fight. Um, at the end, but um, he's he's very high in our Swally tally. Yes. Um, I had Brian McCarty, David Heyman. Mm-hmm. Um, I had Brian Cox, yeah. because, um, and also Ewan Stewart. I didn't have Shirley Henderson on my list, to be fair, but you're right. She is She's very prolific. Very prolific. So I don't know who we're going to give this to this week. I, don't, um, I feel with Brian, with Brian Cox, he's not, he's, he's not in as many Scottish things as some of these other guys. I'm swaying between, uh, because he's purely in mode of the film, I'd, I would give it to Brian McCarty. Yeah, okay. No, if I, you agree with that. I agree yeah. with that, yep. I mean, he yeah. is it's not his best work. <laughs> but 
No, it's not. <laughs> but I think, um, I think, I mean, if you want to give it like David Heyman, you know, probably wins it in terms of pure Scottish yeah, appearances, uh, performances. But I, I think Brian McCarty, yeah, it's not his best work, but I think he's he's in the mode of the film. Yeah. The Jake McQuillan Your Tease Out Award. I had two for this one as well. Yeah, I've got two as well. What have you gone so for? So I've got uh, Guthrie getting plunged in the bar by uh, Rob Roy, which I thought was mm-hmm. a bit excessive on Rob Roy's part. You know what I mean? Yeah, I did as well. Yeah, um, it was there was no need for that. Yeah. Yeah. I also had the guard that shoots Alistair the second time. So after after they've made <laughs> what might be I mean, if the sword fight is the best is one of the best sword fights in cinematic history, then the getaway when Alistair gets shot has to be one of the slowest fucking getaways yeah. <laughs> I've ever seen. But the guard that shoots Alistair the second time after Rob Roy and him think that they have escaped when he's sitting against the rock and then okay. Neeson gets him off his horse and everything. Um I had I had that for my second choice well i had my first was when near the beginning of the film when neeson and everyone are bringing the cows back after they've got them back from tam there's a i don't know if you've caught it there's a little bit one of the cows kind of gives a little fucking headbutt to Liam neeson. <laughs> i think <laughs> i did I don't know if you caught that. No, I never. He gives him a little horn on the side (laughs) and he kind of catches him on the side and Neeson like slaps him on the arse. Like kind of, that was almost like a tease out for me. Like, (laughs) fuck you, like kind of thing. But I I genuinely gave it to Alistair drowning Kalern. Yeah. Because that seemed to me to be a a tease out Mm -hmm. kind of, because uh, I nearly gave it to Mary for slashing him Mm -hmm. in the back of the neck. But the fact that Alistair drowns mm. him is more of a tease yeah. suit. Yeah, no, I think yeah, I, I, so, yeah. I, I'll, I'll uh, agree with that. Okay, uh, the Francis Begbie Award for gratuitous swearing. My, There's nothing too excessive, I don't think. There's a lot of bastards. A lot, yeah. a lot of the word bastard. I'm not referring to any particular member of the cast. Would the, did you find anything spicier than Bastard? The best one I went for was when they are at the kind of at the ball and the Marquis of Montrose. Uh, it's Argyle actually. Oh the Duke of Argyle um, yeah. gives it You are the shite Montrose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he also says you are the shite and the flies on it or something like that. Yeah, yeah that's a good line. Yeah, that's really good. Try <laughs> 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 imagine those words coming out of Tom Connery eh, Tom Connery, <laughs> Sean Connery's mouth. You are the shite, Montrose. Okay, now for this next one. So the archetypal Scottish moment. Now for me, the whole movie has got a, that sort of shortbread tin thing going on. You know what mm. I mean? Highland cows, yeah. tartan sashes and kilts everywhere. And even Hugh McGregor when he's having the kind of... He's having the sort of meeting of, uh, in the village when he's a fugitive telling people to wished, wished, wished. It all feels a bit kind of on the nose. You know what I mean? What, what did you have? Yeah. You, I'd, wait a minute. Let me try and guess. You had Jessica Lange taking a piss at the side of the lock. <laughs> it was genuinely second on my list. <laughs> but you're not far wrong from my first choice, which was the chamber pot pish scene. Would you like me to take away your chamber pot? 
Oh, I know many a Scotsman would be glad of this on a cold morning. It's almost pure spirit, and I'm no judge of a pint of pish. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, okay, and then our final award. So the Sh Sean Connery Awards. Who got to go home and fuck the prom queen, otherwise known as who won the movie? Um, I personally was sort of split a little bit between Roth, Cox, and Hurt. So I do think Hurt's oh, very okay. good. Um, but I know he's not Scottish, but I think it has to fall to, for me at least, it kind of falls to Tim Roth. I've got it torn between Roth and Cox. Right. Um, and I would genuinely love to see a film like a kind of Hobbs and Shaw, yeah. like a, a, a Roth and Cox <laughs> or a, a Cox and Roth like <laughs> film. I know they both meet their demise in Rob Roy, yep. but I would love to see a film of the two of them off on adventures, kind of just doing shit. Um, <laughs> like that would be an amazing film. Just the two of them just off having sex with chambermaids and... <laughs> Making dodgy deals and yeah. kind of yeah, com like com yeah. Com comparing shiny fingers, like <laughs> that would be such a good film. Like I wish they hadn't died. That that's a spin-off waiting to happen. Um, Cox and Cunningham. Cox and Ross, yeah. Cunningham and Calairn, <laughs> the adventures of Cunningham uh, and yeah, Cunningham and Calairn. Yeah. Um, it has to be Tim Roth. He's just the line of when Betty is telling him that she's pregnant and he delivers the line about I am a cock upon a donkey or <laughs> something like that yeah I'm dismissed from service on account of my state and what is your state pretty Betty you know well I'm with your child and he this one has made report of it ah oh, Betty my report did nothing your belly would not announce on its own Archie what am I to do Root it out. If Calern here does not know an old crone with a twig, I miss my guess. It's gone too far for that. Then it will not be the first bastard born in Scotland. Archie, I love you! Love is a dunghill, Betty, and I am but a cock that climbs upon it to crow. It's that's just incredible. The way it delivers, it's so good. Tim Roth wins it for me. But, but Brian Cox is a very close second. Yeah. Um because he's so good. He's very good. And we know that the Academy of nineteen ninety five slash ninety six agree with us. So um yeah, well done, Tim Roth. Well, they don't because they gave the award to Kevin Spacey. Oh, that's right. Oh well. Well they can fuck off. What do they know? What do what do they know about acting anyway? Um, well, that was Rob Roy. That was uh, that was my choice. So, what are we going to talk about next time on the Swally, Greg? Because it's your choice next. Well, week. we've mentioned this already <laughs> on the, on this episode. <laughs> it, it, you may have, you, it, it may have been left in. It may have not. But I've chosen another Liam Neeson starring film, um, and really, I had chosen it a few weeks ago. And then obviously we didn't record for a few weeks. Um, but I've chosen the David Leyland 1990 movie, The Big Man, uh, in which Liam Neeson plays another Scottish guy. So we can compare his uh, his Scottish accent in The Big Man to his Scottish accent in The Big uh, in Rob Roy. But more excitingly than that, it stars Billy Connolly um, in a big role, uh, Ian Bannon. Uh, Robert the Bruce's da um, in Braveheart. Tom Watson, uh, bizarrely Hugh Grant <laughs> is in it. Uh, Joanne Wiley Kilmer, wow. uh, Peter Mullen. But my favourite, 
and I feel it would be your favourite, also stars Pat Roach of uh, of Vida Zane Pet, uh, Indiana Jones, and Saturday Afternoon Wrestling uh, when we were kids. Fucking love Bomber. Oh. (laughs) So I'm looking forward, to, looking forward to looking forward to talking about the big man on the next episode of The Swally. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can. You can follow us on Instagram at Culture Swally Pod, or you can follow us on Twitter at Swally Pod. Or you can email us with anything that you'd like us to review or any news stories that you've seen that you think we'd like us to cover. Or, or just get in touch and say hello on cultureswally at gmail. Dot com. And please feel free to leave us a little rating, a review, subscribe on iTunes, tell your friends, anything you can do, it really helps the podcast grow. Yeah, <laughs> that's Rob Roy. Um, okay, well, until next time. Until next time, Greg. See you soon. So, Mr Cunningham, what are these principal sins that distress your mother? Dice? Drink? Or are you a bugger of boys? It is years, Your Grace, since I buggered a boy. And in my own defence, I must add, I thought him a girl at the moment of entry. <laughs> what say you, Guthrie, that Archie could not tell us from Quim? I've heard that many Englishmen have that same difficulty. <laughs> oh, spoken as well as you thought. Did you see Guthrie here at work? <laughs>